Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. My name is Zach, and I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. If you happen to be a local, I encourage you to check us out. Our website is calvary316.tv. It's also .com, .org, .net. Just Google us, Calvary 316, and you'll find us. If you're not a local, but you are interested in our church and the teaching ministry, uh, our media hub is c316.tv. I do hope, no matter where you're listening, that you stay with me over the next hour or so as we seek to deconstruct the negative perceptions of Christians by boldly and brashly discussing today's relevant topics in an honest and genuine way. Uh, I do want to, right from the beginning here, let you guys know, uh, being the summer break, people's listening habits change. Uh, You know, it's not the same type of a dynamic where you're listening on the way to work or on the way to school or on the way to the soccer practice or the t-ball practice or, or what have you. Because it's summer and listening habits change, uh, we really want to emphasize, um, yes, staying true to the local radio station. We don't want to take anything away from that. But our podcast, our podcast, and if you don't know what a podcast is, a podcast, instead of you going to find the audio and download it, it automatically downloads to your device, your computer, your phone, your tablet, as soon as we post it. And everything we've ever done here on the Outlaw Radio Show is on our podcast. Now, the easiest way to get to our podcast is via our website, which is outlawradio.org. Um, it doesn't matter if you're an Apple or uh, Android, if you have an iPhone uh, or a Google device. Uh, we're, our podcast is available on iTunes. It's also available on Google Play. But as mentioned... Uh, go to our website. There's easy links that you can get to it. And that way you can you can click the, click the subscription button. As soon as we post an, a new episode, uh, it'll come to you. You can listen. You can stay current. And that way with summer traveling patterns and whatnot, uh, you don't get behind. You don't miss episodes. And as always, just because of the nature of radio, if there's ever a point you're listening, you're not able to listen to the whole episode in its entirety, you can always uh, catch up quickly. Well, without anything else to do, I'd like to welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show my dear friend, Ed Taylor. Ed, how are you? Hey, good to be with you, Zach. Uh, I do, do, before we get to the subject matter, I do want to ask you here, though, uh, a a more, probably the most important question is, uh, for the audience, they might not know this, but you are a diehard Dodger fan. Uh, but you also live in in Denver, and so I, I know you root for your Rockies. But you're you're loyal to the blue. Uh, what's your prognosis for the season here? Well, let's let's be clear here. I don't root for the Rockies. Um, my that, you don't. That's my wife. She she believes, and maybe the audience. You can do a Twitter quiz, a Twitter poll one day. But she believes that you need to go for the team that the city in which you live in. Even the though, home team. Yeah, root we, root root for the home team. But then you wouldn't be loyal to the team you grew up with if you just dumped them because you went to another city. So we are Dodger fans here, my son, my daughter, and me, and my wife is a Rockies fan, and the prognosis for the Dodgers is they're going to bring it home this year. They're going to bring it home. Well, uh, all um, if you're listening in Colorado and you are <laughs> totally irritated now... Um, they know. Yeah, you can you can find uh, Ed Taylor on Grace FM. Yeah, they know, and uh, you can send all your complaints in. Uh, see, I'm a firm believer you've got to root for the home team, but you can have you can have your childhood team. So you can still be loyal, but you still have to root for the home team. Anyway, what I have you on the air to talk about, and what is most important, and something near and dear to my heart, is is kind of life in the in the bubble of being a pastor, being a pastor's family. I'm a PK, I'm a pastor, but I also grew up as a pastor's kid. And a lot of people don't understand um, kind of life behind the curtain and that pastors are real people with real emotions, that we go through real things. And so uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk, uh, Ed, with you just a little bit about the struggles of ministry. You cool with that? I am cool with that. I think it's a great topic and and really good for men and women that feel calling into ministry, pastoral ministry, supporting. Uh, I think it's a great topic. 
Let me set the stage real quick with just a little background about you. How long have you been pastoring uh, Calvary Chapel Aurora? We've been here since December of 1999, where we moved our little family, the five of us, from Southern California to here in Aurora, Colorado, and we are the founding, I'm the founding pastor, and our family was here uh, since 1999, so that puts us at just over 18 years uh, serving here in Colorado. So you're approaching the big, the big two zero, the big twenty year mark. Yeah, That's exciting. Right around the corner, and it goes by so so fast. Now, had you been a pastor before you moved to Colorado and started a church? I was. I had a response. I had a place of responsibility in the church that I came from, Calvary Chapel in Downey. Uh, I wasn't a. I wasn't a um, a staff pastor. I, I worked a full time job in the in the ambulance business, but. Uh, I did serve for two and a half years alongside of my wife, pastoring single adults. We were responsible to care uh, for the single adults in our in our large fellowship there. So it wasn't as though you you uh, you moved to Colorado with with zero pastoral or ministry experience. You had, for the most part, uh, been trained up, been equipped, and then were somewhat sent. So you had some experience to start with, correct? Well, that's an interesting that's an interesting way of putting it because. While I did have experience serving and loving and caring and even teaching the Bible, I have to say, though, I had zero experience planting a church, which is a whole different world. It is a completely <laughs> different world than serving, you know, as a lay pastor on a large uh, church. You know, Calvary uh, Chapel in Downey was probably about 6,000 adults were attending. Uh, that church back then, maybe seven thousand, and had all the resources and all of the all of that available to you to come to Colorado to essentially zero people. Well, really, with five people, and I always knew this was a church planner. If the church ever got less than five people, that means my family started going to church somewhere else. <laughs> That's a good rule of thumb for sure. Well, let me let me let me kind of jump script for a minute then, and and ask. You know, you've now been doing this. You've been planting a church for twenty years. Uh, if you could go back in time and tell uh, Ed Taylor, who had just moved to Colorado, like what would be the one thing that you would do completely different now that you've been doing it for so long? Well, that's a good question because I think that it, it's it's sort of a, a tricky question because in some ways I wouldn't change anything because it helped those formative years of learning and growing. Um, but I think that that if I was to come again, I I would put less pressure on myself. I would feel less pressure, and I would probably have chosen. And I think it is a choice to enjoy the process a lot more than I did. Uh, my personality is, you know, I have a gifting in administration. Uh, I, I like things in order. I was in the corporate world working in management, and and so my mind works that way. And I I think in those early days. Uh, one thing I would have done was enjoyed the process. And a second thing I would have done, and it's extremely relevant to men like you that have young kids, is with all that extra mental time that I had and all that extra time of just enjoying the process and, and really trusting God with the church, because uh, I don't think I really truly trusted God to build his church in those early days. I was always worried if this family came and how many came and worried about the wrong things. Uh, which is normal, you know. If you're a church planter, you're a pastor listening. That's a normal thought. It's just not a supernatural thought. So if I had a supernatural approach, I, I would have given my family more time in those early days. I not that I wasn't present because I, I think that there was a lot of presence in my family, but mentally, where my mind was, what I was thinking. I mean, I remember being at the swing set with my kids and taking them to the park, but being on the phone at the same time. And if I could right. do it all over again, I wouldn't do that ever again. I wouldn't, I don't encourage it. I, I wouldn't do it. I think that that's really, my focus would have been more on enjoying uh, and, and, and allowing, you know, just releasing myself from the pressure I put on myself. You, you speak of pressure. Uh, could, could you clarify exactly what type of pressure uh, you were experiencing in the early days and, and, and maybe even compare and contrast that with the pressure you experience today. It's an interesting word that you that you chose, pressure. What, what pressure? I think one of the greatest pressures in the early days uh, was pleasing people. Uh, because when you're planning a church and there's 20 people coming, 20 adults coming on a Sunday morning, you know, when there's 
three visitors, you've got 10% growth in that moment. And in the, <laughs> right. in the early days, right. you're, you're real susceptible to people's opinions. You're susceptible to, you know, I didn't like the way you taught that. I didn't like the way the worship sounded. When are we going to leave the school? And, and I would allow those things to get to me as if it was my responsibility. I, I, I took, I think the pressure primarily came in my life by taking responsibility for things that aren't my responsibility. Uh, and thinking that, that I, I know we all believe this, and I'm sure if I asked you, you would say the same thing. The, the Bible says, Jesus tells us that he builds the church. Uh, Amen. We believe that, but functionally, we don't always live that. You know, functionally, we live in unbelief at times that Jesus will build his church because we, we get conflicted. A, a church pastor, a pastor, a church planter gets conflicted by what they see and what they want. And so when what mm. they want does, isn't what they see, for example, they want a steady stream of 100 adults, that would be great. And what they see and experience is a steady stream of 20 adults. They misinterpret that in the flesh, in their own wisdom, as that Jesus isn't building the church, when in reality, it's all his. And we put this pressure, well, I need to, I need to get them. I remember one time early on, uh, we somebody came to me and said, "You said such and such." I don't remember what they said, uh, and and I didn't really like it. And you know, I, we came for this kind of Bible study. On and on the the list goes. I went home and I took that blue. We were doing cassette tapes back then. I, I must have wore that blue cassette tape out, so worried that I was a bad teacher because I allowed this person's opinion of me or his criticism, valid or not, I don't even remember. I don't think it was valid because I, I remember it not as having to make an improvement in my teaching, but rather having to make an improvement on how I deal with people. But man, I, I lost a week. I, you know, if you, you, <laughs> you start losing weeks and days and hours on things that really aren't in your, you know, the truth is, is I'm not that good of a teacher. That's the truth. It's not, I'm not embarrassed by that. And I realize now, uh, 18 years later, that God has made me who I am. I give to him my best. I deliver the message the best that I can, and I trust that he will use me as a vessel. But I, I didn't always really believe that. That's that's a fascinating observation. And just as a as a young pastor, man, so much of what you're saying is just is just really hitting home, and really resonating. Especially the the part about uh, first, just the pressure of you feel like you have to make something happen. Versus just sitting back and allowing the Lord to happen, uh, the Lord to work it and make it happen because you feel like you're supposed to be doing something like there's this, I don't know, as a man, I feel like, you know, instead of taking a day off to just enjoy my kids, like there's this compulsion of I'm doing something wrong or I'm not doing enough or, you know, the pressure, the pressure, the pressure, the pressure. And, uh, and then the criticisms that people levy criticisms without really understanding the effects that those criticisms have on the man. And you just, you know, mentioning you lost a week, re, re, re-examining your own teaching style when it wasn't fully necessary. At, at what point in the church plant, Ed, did you, did you start taking a salary? Well, you know, we moved out here uh, the way that we were discipled to, to work without being a burden to any new church plant. And so I'm, in my company, our, our corporate headquarters was right here in Aurora, Colorado, and I actually took a transfer with my job, which was a very successful, very comfortable, uh, just just really everything that you would ever want. You know, it's something that you could retire from type of job. And we had a goal of of working seven years was my goal. It's kind of in the back of my mind, seven years that we could put some money away, maybe live on half of what I was making and put the rest away, save for retirement, just get some financial things in order. And then maybe by the end of seven years, uh, the, the, the Lord would have grown the church to a place where I could take a reasonable salary um, you know, that, that would take care of the needs of my growing family. Gotcha. And that was our gotcha. goal. Could you, could you just pause that thought and then we'll come right back. We'll pick up right where we just left off hear more on the Outlaw Radio Show. Hi, my name is David Guzik, and I'm a friend of Zach and the entire team at Outlaw Radio. One of the things I like most about Outlaw Radio is Zach's desire to challenge Christians to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on their own. The sad reality is too many Christians don't know what they believe, yet alone why they believe what they do. 
This is why, in addition to Outlaw Radio tackling the tough topics you might not hear at church on Sundays, their desire is to equip, inspire, and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this process, Zach wanted me to let you all know of two free resources essential for any serious Bible student. Aside from my full Bible commentary available at EnduringWord.com, the resources you can access at BlueLetterBible.org will truly transform the way you study the Bible. Aside from their treasure trove of free commentaries, BlueLetterBible.org also has an incredible word search function, making it easy to dive into the original languages behind a biblical text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of Scripture, check out EnduringWord.com as well as BlueLetterBible.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. I'm joined with a dear friend, Ed Taylor. Ed, thanks so much for being with us. And where we left things off, we were talking about the early days of the church when you started taking a salary. I do want to ask, you had the seven-year plan. Um, As the church grew and the needs began to multiply, what was your hiring strategy? How did you go about making those decisions? Well, let's come back just for a moment to the seven-year plan because the seven-year plan actually didn't materialize. Uh, the church... Oh, wow. Okay. The, the church did grow pretty rapidly, and we actually ended up taking a group of, of about 30 people that were already meeting for a while, and and we were going to, you know, we, we took responsibility of that from the previous pastor and began to love that those 30 people and, and immediately took... Uh, that group and went Sunday mornings in our community. So we rented a middle school, started Sunday mornings, and within just a few months, that group of 30 grew to almost 100 adults uh, on a Sunday morning. And the pressure of my job, it was very difficult, very stress-related, very hard here. And then the pressure of a growing church, really, uh, again, that word pressure is cannot be under underutilized or underemphasized because you feel as if you're being pushed and pulled and and you're you're in this this like what it, what something has to give and every pastor goes through this something has to give and and so I I ended up resigning uh, through a whole series of events I resigned from my position and came back to the group of men that we prayed with together and and took a very 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 small salary because I didn't I, I knew I wouldn't make what I was making uh, in the corporate world, nor did I want to uh, in that stage of ministry, and the church couldn't support that, but we just needed our meet, needs met. So within nine months, uh, it was just a f- nine months of moving here that the church was in a position to give my family a small salary, and I do emphasize the word small. So the seven-year plan turned into a, a nine-month reality. Yeah, it was very, you know, the Bible says a man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And, and I, That's you know, the truth. I really, I really didn't, I really took to heart the way we were discipled, not to be a burden to the church. And, and we ended up not being a burden. And most of the church planners I have the privilege of serving really goes through this pressure because if they keep working full time, then the church isn't going to really thrive too much because they're not pouring in themselves with all those 40, 50 hours uh, of work into the church. And then, but then, so they're hesitant to take a salary. And then on the other hand, uh, when they do take a salary, they have to remember that that their focus now becomes the church and and they really need to take that time and pour it into the congregation because now there's going to be a natural there's going to be a natural growth uh, except that you have to be careful not to overestimate just remember if i had to tell anyone pastoring church planning just remember the church belongs to Jesus Christ. If you're building it, then you can worry about it, and you will worry about it. <laughs> right. But if, if you really trust that God is doing a work in your community with your giftings and talents, and you, you choose to love and serve the people like Jesus modeled, then a lot of that pressure really does go away. Um, let me ask, people typically tend to resist change. I mean, I mean, we're creatures of comfort in a large extent. So I, I guess, how do you effectively lead, um, especially in that context, a growing church that is naturally experiencing changes while remaining sensitive as the pastor to, to that, that reality that people don't like change? You see what I'm saying? Like, how do you, how do you balance that? The, the natural change with people not liking change? Well, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to do. You need to have an atmosphere. Our churches are so human-centered. Uh, 
uh, with our plans and our programs and the latest book that we just read and our friend's testimony and the church that we came from. And we, we underestimate just how human we are when we oversee a church and, and need to confess that before God and ask him to forgive us because the more human a church is, the, the more we care about. Like, for example, if God is asking me to make a change, uh, he's asking me as the leader of his congregation to make a change for my community that isn't like the church that I came from, and it isn't even like the people, there's going to be four or five people maybe that complain about it. I'm not, as, I'm not in a bad position as it might seem, because if God told me to do it, then I'm going to do it, and I'm going to accept the reality that change, not only does it, ref, does it provoke this attitude of I don't like change, but more importantly, it provokes an attitude of uh, an opportunity for discipleship, because so, so I, we make a change and we follow through and the Lord's in it and it's very obvious and a portion of the congregation gets upset about it. It's really a discipleship opportunity and there's really two, minimum of two opportunities. One is to help someone process their feelings and submit them to Jesus where they die to themselves or it is an opportunity for, for a family to find that you know, this is kind of how the church is going to be for a long time. We're going to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We're going to obey him. We're going to make changes as God leads us to make changes. And it may be an opportunity for a family to say, I don't like church like this. I don't want, hmm. I don't think my family's here. And then we need to find them a congregation in our community. That's why I like, love having friendships with all sorts of churches in our community that love Jesus, but might do things differently than us. So that when someone's criticisms and complaints and concerns and you know, cha- upset with every little change that we make, it's just so flustering them. My counsel to them is, man, God doesn't want you so flustered. He wants you to worship him and enjoy him. He wants you to, to receive from him. It, maybe, this, the, maybe Calvary's not for you. And that's another freeing thing a pastor can, can receive from the Lord, just to know that you're not going to reach everybody in your community. If you did, there wouldn't be a hundred other churches in your community. Right, right. Can you give me an example of a change you've had to make throughout the years that um, that kind of illustrates this very point? Yeah, let me give you. Uh, I'll give you a couple. I'll give you one that's sort of superficial change, and then I'll and and then I'll give you one that's a real substantive change. The superficial change is uh, we we just want to keep our sanctuary room up to date. Uh, we we don't want it to grow st- stale and old and. And uh, we have had a decoration on our wall behind the stage uh, since we pretty much close to when we opened the building because we we built this facility uh, on some some land that the Lord allowed us to purchase and and so we we put a decoration on the back wall that included the the depiction of a cross and okay. and, and we colored it with some colored lights and and it was great and it was wonderful and it was it was nice and it needed to be changed uh, it was time to bring a change. <laughs> And I had noticed other churches um, that had taken their wall and made it a screen, and they had projecting things on the back wall while somebody was uh, teaching, or they would put the worship words on the wall, and and that really was appealing to me and to our leadership. So I brought it to our leadership, I brought it to the board of elders, and made this suggestion. I think this is the direction we should go. We're all on board. Uh, we we make that change. Uh, we we take the decoration off the wall, uh, and we and here's the funny thing: we we just painted the wall. It, it wasn't a screen; a custom screen was multi thousands of dollars, and we weren't going to pay for right. that. Right? Insane, <clears throat> insane. Right. So we ended up just painting the wall, which and we actually painted the wall with really we and the the brother that the pastor that was overseeing this project is was a genius. He's he says we're not going to buy the super expensive paint either. We're just going to paint it with typical house white paint. Uh, and <laughs> and see how it goes, and if it works, then we don't need to go any farther. Uh, which ended up working. That that worked, and we changed. It. And I, I was my concern uh, as a pastor, and just anticipating getting our staff ready was that the 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 cross coming down was going to send some kind of message, and people were going to flip out and and say, "Oh, Calvary's going emergent now. They're taking the cross <laughs> off the wall, and now we." Oh boy! And and I anticipated that, and it actually did okay. happen. We were accused of being an emergent church. We were accused of. I was accused. Really came to me that you know now we're not going to teach the Bible anymore. And 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 one in one person in particular, it almost felt like uh, they were accusing me of taking Jesus off the cross. Uh, like, wh- what kind of church are you? That and 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 what they don't understand is that. 
in the 18 years of our church, for nine of them, there was no cross decoration anywhere. We met in a school. Uh, we didn't have a cross. We didn't wheel a cross in. We, we just really focused on teaching the cross and teaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ and teaching the hope. And, and so the, the, there, there was some backlash, but actually the, the, the concern with change was all these false accusations. People saw this change as an opportunity to falsely accuse us of all sorts of things, M- uh, money issues, like, like as if they saw every invoice that came in uh, and they, they had every penny accounted for, like the, it just revealed all sorts of things to people, which, which unfortunately, uh, they they moved on that they really didn't need to, but they moved on like so bitterly, like they were so, they they were the accusations were nothing close to the truth, and and, and we're talking about just decor. I it, mean, just changing the stage, just changing the stage to a more modern feel. I, I've, I've been in your sanctuary. You have a, a fantastic sanctuary and you guys did it really smart and, and tactful. And, um, and it's, and it's not, it's not outlandish by any stretch of the imagination. Now you mentioned that that was, you know, that, that when it came to the criticisms, uh, when it came, when it came to changes that there was one superficial. So you're kind of classifying this as, as a superficial change. Do I have that right? Yeah, this was, this would be very, in my mind, it would be very superficial. It's, Buying, you know, buying some new um, projectors because we needed them. Uh, using the old ones in our youth room, and and it was very, it was just cosmetic in in every way. It was a cosmetic change, uh, and yet this cosmetic change caused big gr- issues. Yeah, great grief, and all all kinds of all kinds of difficulty. We can talk about social media later. I know that's on a list. Yeah, uh, to, to and I have some some observations of that. But the reality was is that. Their criticisms were unfounded, and they, they they were unfounded whether it was the way that our church would the direction of our church was going, or it was unfounded that we waste money. And, and those accusations, in and of themselves, only reveal to me. And these were people that served close. Some of them served close right. with us uh, that they don't know me, or they, they because they don't know what a frugal leader I have been That's for eighteen years. They can ask my wife. That's the truth. That's how I run my house right. too. Uh, and well, listen, listen, audience, don't go anywhere. We're, we're going to continue this conversation. Don't go anywhere. Come back. The Outlaw Radio Show. Hey, thanks for joining us today. You're listening to The Outlaw Radio Show. Today's a special broadcast with Pastor Ed Taylor and, of course, Zach Adams. Come back for part two of The Outlaw Radio Show. Hey, this is Josh. You're listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. Today, Pastor Zach is interviewing Ed Taylor, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Aurora. Now here's Zach. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. In our last segment, Pastor Ed mentioned uh, two changes that he made that he got some kickback from. One was purely a cosmetic change, and the, and the other one was more spiritual and, and, and a little deeper. And Ed, it's kind of with that thought, I just want to hand it back to you. Could, could you elaborate on that? Now, the, from from going from the from a superficial change, which is really just decorations, painting the walls, painting the sanctuary, simple things that things get worn out, and 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 we we made the change. We also made a substantive change a few years ago with my own personal conviction, and that we were a prayerless church, that mm-hmm. we were a praying church in name, but really not affording a training opportunity or a corporate opportunity uh, to pray. Now, uh, we are a little bit larger than we were in the beginning, so sometimes making changes with with a larger congregation has some logistical type of issues, but uh, I didn't even pay attention to logistical oppositions and different difficulties this time, and that we just needed to pray, and we needed to be Mm. a more praying church. And what we did was we rearranged our Wednesday night gathering uh, we have our regular Saturday night, Sunday morning services, and then our Wednesday night we go through a different book of the Bible, and and time and basically our time was uh, a large a larger block of passionate worship and a larger time to teach, and that was our Wednesday night format for a long time. But recently, a couple years ago, God introduced me to a man. His name is Manny Mill. I uh, wrote a book on prayer of his own personal conviction as well that stirred me. I shared it with the staff. It stirred them. I shared it with the church, and it began to stir people that 
we needed to start praying as a church. So what we did was we rearranged our whole Wednesday night service so that it reflects more of an Acts 2.42 time where we study the Bible, we do worship together, we fellowship together, and, and we purposely pray together. Now, you know, our sanctuary on a Wednesday night was probably filled two-thirds capacity um, before this change was made. And we just started praying. So what that means is a whole segment of our time, um, it's now come to be known as our Give 10 time, where we give 10 minutes of focused prayer together in small groups. And we stop the service. It, it's aired live on the radio. So we, we, we remind everyone on the radio, we'll be back. Why don't you join us for 10 minutes? We're just going to pray. That's our service. That's what we're doing. And, and, and so we break up into small groups. Well, I think, you know, from a pastoral perspective, I grew the Wednesday night service from about two thirds to less than a quarter full. I mean, it, it emptied out. Um, people, people <laughs> it was, stopped it coming. Reversed. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was a tongue in cheek, um, pastor joke that only a few <laughs> pastors would get, but, uh, um, it, it, it changed everything. It, it, it people didn't, and, and I can appreciate, I, I mean, I don't, I don't like it. I don't approve of it, but I can appreciate this hesitancy to break up into small groups because if my dad came to our church, he'd stop coming on Wednesday nights because he didn't like this group dynamic. He, that's just not how he was made. Uh, it was made him uncomfortable, but, but we, we were, we are undeterred. Like I, this is from the Lord. And if it means that we only serve a smaller group of people on Wednesday nights, so be it. Like it's not about, it's it's not about how many people are coming. It's about how many people we're discipling to follow Jesus. And and so now two years later, uh, Wednesday night has changed dynamics as well. We're still praying, and it's still a beautiful time. We communion and everything, but but it's definitely growing again. But it's growing in a different way because the people that are coming are expectant to pray. They want to pray, and so we tie it together with our missionaries. We tie it together with whatever current events are there, and it's a real beautiful time. But that change. You know, I had got emails. I, I don't want to pray with people. I'm just coming for the Bible study. I'm just coming. I mean, we got all kinds of feedback. And I said, well, we're, we're praying. We're, God has convicted me that we are not a praying church. And so this is what we're going to do. And and we're not changing. And uh, let me let me ask. You've mentioned this a few times. So the Lord, the Lord impressed something on your heart. You had this conviction like we're not a praying church. Something needs to change here. And so, you know. The Lord is working on you. He's giving you a vision. But you've mentioned numerous times taking that vision to your leadership team, your other pastors, bouncing these ideas off of them. Um, what's the dynamic? Because, you know, oftentimes Calvary chapels get get falsely accused, in my opinion, of having one leader that just kind of rules the roost. But it, but it seems like you you had a check and balance to these things. Is that correct? Is that a fair way of saying it? We do. And we are, uh, as a Calvary Chapel, we are a pastor-led church. But I believe it's wise in any pastor-led church to truly have that pastor be a leader and not a dictator. Uh, it's not a dictator hmm. position. Uh, it's not a position where there are no checks and balances. And there, every this would probably be another show altogether, but everything rises or falls on relationship. Relationship That's is everything. The truth. And that is so true. I trust these men and their wives and their families uh, alongside of me to oversee this congregation, uh, even though uh, I do believe that God moved us out here and I do believe that God has appointed me and anointed me as the under shepherd of this congregation. But I, I do want to involve, it's, I have a relationship with these guys. I have a relationship uh, with the board. You know, the final place of accountability for us is our board of elders. Um, which would have the final veto on any idea I would bring. Um, but it, there too, we have relationship and these guys speak into my life and they give counter opinions and they ask the hard questions and we wrestle with things uh, so that they're, generally we're all on the same page. I value like-mindedness in the ministry. I, that's a high value for me. And like-mindedness doesn't mean that we all see things the same way. That That's conformity. I'm not looking for conformity, but I am looking mm -hmm. that we generally see things the same way. We generally say, yeah, I, I, I'm prayerless too. You know, yeah, you know, the a, a new decoration on the wall would go a long way in ministering to a different demographic or a different group or whatever, whatever the discussion is. And so I would just bring it up in a, you know, I have a staff meeting, which includes all of the staff uh, that our administrative team and everyone. And I also have a pastor's meeting. Uh, where it's just the pastors and we pray and talk about things with 
uh, people and issues within the congregation. And then we have an administrative leadership team uh, that some of the pastors are on that, that that we talk about administrative things uh, from that level. So it just really depends on what the change is. Sometimes I'll come and say, hey, we're making this change. Let's pray about it. Sometimes I think, hey, what do you guys think about this? And sometimes the change, actually, most of the time, the changes come from them and their ideas. Like, like as a pastor, if you're a good listener and observer, like they'll bring an idea to me, and and I'll give them the credit for it. Like, man, that that right. that is so. A true team is going to have input. A true team is going to have various giftings and and different observations. But also, a true team is going to have a coach. It's going to have a manager. It's going to have someone that takes all this information and says, this is where we're going. This is what I believe the Lord is doing. And so for us, I want a real cooperative, uh, relational-based ministry where um, we all know that God uh, has appointed us as leaders and we know our roles, but cooperatively we oversee the church. Let Let me ask, in what way do you believe that social media has made pastoral ministry more difficult, especially when it pertains to public criticism you know there's there's one thing about having the internal struggle and the accountability and those conversations in an internal context but things are so much more public now uh, how, how, how do you think social media has played into all this well social media is indicative of our culture you know we, it really reminds us and and reveals to us that the type of culture that we're infiltrating with the gospel and what has happened to the mindset of those born during this time and social media is really a revelation of this narcissistic uh, attitude that my opinion is more important than anyone else's opinion and what used to be talked about on the front porch or around a, a pool table is now for all for public consumption with the idea that my opinion is much more important than yours without relationships. So for example, Zach, you and I have a friendship. Huh. Uh, we go, I go to your house, although um, the only time you invited <laughs> me there, you didn't. <laughs> you, you, I knew you, that was coming. You changed your mind. But let's say we were in your backyard and you and I were having a passionate conversation and we disagree and, and your wife's looking at us through the window and, and little Q is out there hitting his ball and we're just disagreeing. It's, it, it's really not a big issue, but there's obviously a disagreement. And then we finish the conversation. We hug each other and we go play with your son and your wife comes out and says, oh, what a, what a strong conversation. You're like, yeah, we had disagreement, but we had fun talking about it. People try to take that and and move it to social media. And here's the problem. You and I have a relationship. We, we're looking at each other eye to eye. Uh, we are within, we can smell each other's breath. We can see that there's a, there's a guy that you're influencing uh, within 30 feet of us. You're raising him, your son, and your wife is in the kit. And so we, that also kind of keeps our tempers down and it keeps everything down because we realize that our life is intertwined with others. Social right. media is that that kind of conversation, but people don't remember that they're influencing people, and especially Christians. It, I, I just don't understand why Christian. I mean, other than them being in the flesh, why they would write some of the things they write and say some of the things they say in such a public way that takes away their ability to influence people. For them, you know, it's it's hard to say I hate so and so, and you're an idiot, and oh, oh by the way. Uh, come to our church this weekend because we're having special service because you don't have eye contact. You don't have, uh, you know, social media doesn't have a relationship. Those are not real friends. Just everyone listening in right now, social media does not mean you have a lot of real friends. You don't. Uh, it, it's The real friends are not on social media. The real friends are in your backyard, eye to eye, on the phone. That's the truth. You you have time and testing. And so what social media has done to the church is it, it has it has elevated what, what used to be done in the basement uh, of grandma's house on a blog is now because it used to be it used to be the phone calls then it was email how many times we got those forwarded emails then it was the blogosphere and then social media just exponentially increased this hypercritical uh, my opinion matters I, I'm not just going to argue with you but I'm going to destroy you and then when people get mad at a church they used to leave and go to another church but now when people leave a church, they leave, but they don't really leave. Ed, those are very true words. Well, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with the Outlaw Radio Show. 
One of the missions of Outlaw Radio is to bring your attention to ministry resources that will benefit your personal study of the Bible and spiritual growth. With this in mind, we want you to check out Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Not only is their vision to help the thinker believe, but they exist to help the believer think. To accomplish both of these aims, their website, rzim.org, is filled with tons of free resources aimed at not only answering your own difficult questions, but with the intention of providing the necessary tools to defend your faith in an ever-growing, hostile world. Once again, you can learn more about Ravi Zacharias International Ministries by visiting rzim.org. That's rzim.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams. You've been listening to an interview that I did with Pastor Ed Taylor. I want to pull back the curtain a little bit and let you know how the show operates in order to explain what you can expect next. So this show is not live. It's pre-recorded. It's edited uh, for all of the radio stations. It's put together, sent out, and then it airs. Um, This enables us to package it for the podcast and whatnot. Uh, Nothing about this show is live. It's all pre-recorded. And so as Pastor Ed and I were going through this episode, as we were asking questions and having this dialogue, and and really where, where the conversation left off, we almost immediately determined as we were wrapping up this one episode that there was just so much more to talk about. That one episode... Uh, just 50 minutes wasn't enough time uh, to unpack it. And as soon as we got done with the first episode, Pastor Ed was like, hey, you want to you wanna record another one? And so I said, hey, let's do it. So we ended up doing two hours worth of tape on this topic, and, uh, and we've packaged it into a part one and a part two. What you've been listening to is part one. Um, I encourage you, come back this time next week for part two of this interview with Pastor Ed Taylor. Or as always, you can go to the podcast and download both of them. But just wanted to let you know, if we were in the middle of thought, uh, you'll have to come back next week uh, and listen to part two uh, of this of this episode. I, I really must say, uh, just re-listening to the conversation, I'm just so honored to be able to call Ed Taylor a friend. Uh, apart from the fact that he's a Dodgers fan, apart from the disagreement, because I really do think that that he should root for the home team. He should have a little bit of loyalty for the Rockies, um, as long as they're not playing the Dodgers. That's fine. Apart from that, apart from the constant Twitter ragging between he and I about the Braves and the Dodgers, he really is a brother. And as a pastor, uh, to to have had the opportunity to connect with. Uh, with Pastor Ed, for him to, it, to be honest, for him to take an interest in me, and uh, and reach out and, and build a relationship and a friendship, um, it really is an honor and it's a privilege, and it's one of those things where um, uh, just listening back to this episode as a pastor, I was just really encouraged to hear that um, it doesn't matter how big your church is. So many of the struggles that pastors experience are universal. You know, you can have a church of three hundred or a church of 3,000, and you're going to deal with self-doubt, and you're going to deal with, um, with criticisms, and you're going uh, to deal with uh, you know, the tendency of, of thinking even too highly of yourselves and falling into pride. And, and just to be able to have someone like Pastor Ed uh, in my life, I'm just so honored. And, and if, he's, if he's listening, he hasn't heard this part. And so I just want to tell you, Ed, thank you so much for being on the show. And, um, and I can't wait for the audience to hear the second half of this interview and, um, and just the conversation uh, and how it unfolds. Uh, with the time that we have left, because we weren't able to get to any of this stuff during the episode, didn't want to interrupt the train of thought, uh, I do want, as always, to just reiterate to you, the listening audience, that, that one of the most important aspects of our show, uh, of this ministry that we feel like God has given us, is our desire to, to connect with you, the listening audience. It is radio. It's such a weird forum. Uh, because you, you're speaking into a mic, to an empty studio, and uh, and you have no idea who it is that's listening. You have no idea how the things that you're communicating are 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 touching hearts, are impacting lives, 
And so we would ask that you would uh, open a dialogue with us, not just to share how the show has been a blessing, but we also want to hear from you, the audience, in regards to questions. Uh, we've just been blessed to have David Guzik on uh, recently. Every quarter, he's going to come on the show, answer your questions, theological questions. So if you have questions, you want to ask David, you want to ask me, uh, don't hesitate to, to send them in. Um, we're also working on a follow-up interview with Pastor Joe Foch. Uh, if you have questions about that interview, also reach out, send us an email, whatnot. Uh, if you want to challenge something, uh, that was said on the show, something you didn't like, or submit topics that you want uh, us to discuss. Literally, uh, nothing is off limits. Uh, there's several ways that you can reach us. Uh, first, there is email. And for a lot of people, email ends up being the easiest. Uh, our email address is info at outlawradio.org. Once again, that's info at outlawradio.org. Uh, we're also on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash outlaw. Uh, go to the Facebook page and 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 like us, follow us, and uh, and what's great is we have a lot of uh, we send out a lot of our episodes and quotes and uh, it's just kind of a community, uh, an easy way to connect with you, the audience, through the Facebook page, um, and then also if you're into Twitter, if that's your thing, we have a Twitter handle that we do keep updated. Um, it's at radio underscore outlaw, and then if you're interested in having uh, your question um, or comment played live on the air, you can call us at 678-883-3316. You can leave a voicemail. Um, Once again, the number is 678-883-3316. If your question is kept pithy, if it's kept to the point, concise, respectful, uh, we would even uh, like to play it on the air. Um, With just a couple minutes I have left, I want to let you, the audience, know. I actually want to ask for your prayers. Jessica and I are expecting uh, baby number three. Uh, we're excited about it. Um, Jessica is is about 13 or so weeks, 13, 14 weeks along. Uh, we don't know if it's a boy or a girl yet, but I would ask uh, that you would keep my wife in, in your prayers. Um, I don't care if it's a boy or a girl. What I care more than anything is that the Lord would bless us with a healthy child um, and that the Lord would keep Jessica healthy as well. Uh, in the past, and this is just um, me being transparent with you, the audience, um, we have two beautiful boys the Lord's blessed us with, Quincy and Theodore. Uh, before Quincy, uh, we had had we had a miscarriage before the eight-week mark. Um, so we've, we've gone through that before. Jessica has gone through uh, you know, losing a one very early. Um, we know that it gets more heart-wrenching the later it goes. But So we've been there. And, and then honestly, between, between Quincy and Theodore, uh, we got pregnant again, um, and that turned into just this this crazy deal. Uh, a molar pregnancy, Google it. Uh, it was a nightmare, and yet the, and yet through it all, the Lord the Lord remained faithful. And so there's part of this we've gone every other um, with the children, and I know my wife uh, is dealing with a little bit of anxiety. So please, the audience, take a second if you would, and pray for Jessica, Jessica Adams, my wife. And, uh, and our, our unborn baby, that the Lord has known that child even before the foundations of the world. And we're so excited uh, as parents uh, to meet the little guy. So you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. Don't forget, this is part one of a two-part interview that we did with Pastor Ed Taylor um, from Aurora, Colorado, just outside of Denver. And so you want to make sure that you come back and listen again to part two. Um, if you like what you heard, I really do encourage you to do two things. Um, first, please contact your local radio station and tell them that you're thankful uh, that they're airing Christian, solid Christian content in your community. Uh, it is a thankless job. Uh, it's a seed sowing ministry. Uh, these guys are not making a lot of money doing it. And so just to hear from you, it goes a long way. It's very encouraging to know that they're making an impact and that people uh, are listening. So reach out to your radio station and thank them that they're there and that they're carrying Outlaw Radio uh, in your area. Uh, I also want to encourage you to go to our website. Our website is outlawradio.org. From the site, you can easily uh, access our podcast. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play. You can listen again to this episode in its entirety. You can also listen to all of the previous episodes. 
Uh, and if you're not able to listen to part two with Pastor Ed Taylor, you can go to the podcast and you can listen to it as well. Maybe we'll even get it up early. Uh, I've mentioned the contact information, Twitter, Facebook, email, all the sorts. Once again, my name is Zach Adams, and I hope you join me again this time next week for part two with Ed Taylor here on the Outlaw Radio Show. You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.